Hello and a very warm welcome to the 37th episode of CMS Pensions Lawcast. Uh, I'm James Parker, I'm a partner in the CMS Pensions team. Uh, I'm very happy to welcome Miles Pink, who is a partner in LCP's insurance de-risking team. Uh, and we're both going to have a brief recap on the de-risking market. We're going to look back at, at 2021. I think we've got uh, a decent idea of what the volumes were in 2021. I think importantly, then look forward into 2022. And if you're a trustee and you're, 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 you're considering either putting together a journey plan or transacting in 2022, really what can you expect and what are the themes that we can we, we think we'll see uh, in the market during the year? Um, so, 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 Miles, I, I think we've probably got a rough idea of, of what happened in 20, 2021. Can you just give us give us the highlights? Yeah, it, it, the insurers haven't all uh, reported their final numbers in, but from what we can see, it looks like the the bulk annuity market for buy-ins and buy-outs is going to be confirmed at around 30 billion. Um, that compares with uh, the other two largest years, uh, 2020 of about 32 billion and 2019 of a staggering 44 billion. Uh, so 2021 could easily be the the second or third largest um, year for buy-ins and buy-outs that, that we've ever seen in terms of volumes. What's quite interesting to look through is uh, how these volumes break down between buy-ins and buy-outs, because about five years ago, two-thirds of bulk annuity volumes in, in this market were associated with pensioner buy-ins, uh, because pension schemes were focused more on partial de-risking than, than full buy-out. That, that seems to have flipped over now, and in 2021, we saw about two-thirds of transactions actually being full buyouts. Yeah, that, that's entirely consistent with what what we've seen as well, Miles. I, I, what what proportion of that 30 billion presumably doesn't include longevity swaps? Well, the 30 billion is just the buy-ins buyouts. Um, last year, we saw about 16 billion of longevity swaps. And what's quite interesting looking at back over the last three years in the longevity swap market is about 90% of the volume has been associated with financial institutions sponsored pension schemes uh, and particularly pension schemes sponsored by banks. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. Is, is that linked to, it, it, there's an accounting arbitrage, I think, for financial institutions. Certainly we, we did the Santander transaction last year and we've seen a number of banking transactions is, is that because of the the accounting arbitrage yeah it's um it's another thing for a pension scheme to take into account when you're sponsored by a financial institution particularly a bank where the bank has to score capital and therefore there's a real cost to it uh, for holding risk within the db pension plan so the the pension plan tends to be managed in a way that um that 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 minimizes the amount of capital cost for the bank and, and for them longevity swaps are more of a DIY solution makes more sense than using yeah. the bulk annuity. So so I think so volume volumes are high or have been in 2021. What bit of crystal ball gazing Miles, what, what do we think will happen in, in 2022? Well I think across the two markets we may see up to 50 billion of longevity risk uh, removed. So 30 plus billion in buy-ins and buyouts again with uh, more of a dominance amongst buyouts than, than buy-ins. Um, and, and then in the longevity swap market, maybe another 15 billion or so. I think looking at the, the reason why pension schemes are executing buyouts rather than buy-ins is really because of the, the, um, the strong asset performance in pension schemes over recent years. 
many are now closer to their end game and even closer to their end game than they were expecting to be at this point. Also, there's just a greater focus on longevity de-risking now that asset strategies have been more de-risked. And the pricing in the longevity market is uh, one of its most attractive we've ever seen. That's really driven by two things. One, it, it's a competitive market, so risk fees are lower than we've seen over, over the past decade. And also, the best estimates that reinsurers are pricing in are lower and expected to continue to fall because of the post-pandemic data that's coming through, uh, suggesting that actually life expectancy improvement rates are slowing. So, so we've got this sort of perfect storm. We've got great pricing. We've got high volumes. So, so where are the insurers going to be focusing their attention? Do you think? Well, I suppose like any um, commercial organisation, they're going to divert their attention towards those transactions where they can deploy the most capital most profitably, uh, where they can uh, minimise execution risk and structuring complexity. So larger transactions where there is limited complexity and a limited requirement for large teams to spend uh, undue time and attention on transactions that, of course, they don't know that they've they've actually um, taken on board until towards the end. So I think the larger transactions will continue to dominate. There's therefore a, a bit of a word of warning for medium and smaller transactions coming to market uh, not quite as well prepared as they could be. I think the way in which pension schemes present themselves is going to be hugely important because, of course, the, the insurers do have limited resource and uh, limited uh, limited time to, to write the volumes they're going to be wanting to write. So so how, how is it, if you're a trustee and you're listening to, to, to this episode, how, how is it that you can get the insurer's attention for a de-risking transaction? Well, I think it starts with the journey plan. Um, it's been a bit of a buzzword over the last couple of years, particularly driven by the changing regulation and the the focus that TPRs putting on pension schemes having a long-term target and a, and a plan to get there agreed between trustees and sponsors. And actually, insurers will look for that now. They will they will expect that any de-risking is is within the context of a of a well-organized strategy. Uh, and also to prepare well, to have your data in order, to 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 know what the benefits are that you're you're seeking to to ensure, and if there are gaps or inconsistencies in data, get get those sorted before going to the market. Yeah. So if we just pause there um, on residual risk, because it's a term that's banded around a lot, um, and it can mean different things to different people. So, so what do I mean? Um, in in any traditional buy-in, the the coverage that the uh, a pension scheme has is defined by the benefit spec. Um, so to the extent that um, something pops out that's inconsistent with the benefits spec, let's say it's discovered that it's not consistent with historic rules, uh, or maybe there's an error in the data that was passed over, that's not covered by a buy-in policy unless you agree otherwise with the insurer. So residual risk is really picking up those potential errors and inconsistencies. It also, of course, includes missing beneficiaries insurance, so the proverbial file falling behind the filing cabinet, uh, and sometimes that doesn't manifest itself as a risk until well after the buyout and, and the wind up of the pension scheme. Yeah, that, that, 
That's absolutely right. And I, I think traditionally what we've seen is people have only really tackled residual risks at the end. And, and that's that's logical because it's often a conversation with the employer. Residual risk has a benefit to the employer as much as it does to the pension scheme. And so those conversations are generally tied into to discussions around uh, indemnity, what indemnity will be provided by the employer going into winding up. And actually what we're, we're, we're needing now is that thinking needs to be done up front. So, so we're, we're working together with LCP at the moment on a, on a, a five billion scheme that's looking to move to, uh, to buy out in a sort of 10 year time horizon. And, and actually what we've done is, is trustee what's called VDD due diligence and, and provided a report for the first transaction. We're doing a series of buy-ins over time. And that report then, then supports uh, residual risks throughout the journey plan and that's extremely effective but what it does mean is you have to do the thinking up front and have the conversations that you'd normally only have at the back end of the journey plan it's all part of preparation really it, it preparing of course the risks that you do know about the, the risks in in the benefit structure as it's defined but then also those those additional risks that you're going to want to make sure are dealt with through one form of insurance or the indemnity as you say yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely right. And uh, and again, a theme that we're that we're seeing um, that obviously backs to to a large extent off the work that you did with, say, the ICI pension scheme. Are, are these, you know, looking holistically at, at schemes, and and how can we move that scheme over a ten year horizon uh, using, for example, umbrella contracts uh, and pa establishing panels with say two maybe three insurers and then over time move, moving you know to buy in for the complete for the whole scheme and then in one go moving to buy out yeah and for a number of our larger clients that's exactly the setup that we've we've established where they have relationships with a small number of insurers the insurers know their data and their benefits very well and in fact sometimes we even get inbound calls from insurers suggesting that if the uh, the pension scheme has the low risk assets to pass over in a buy-in or a buyout uh, pricing could be favourable for a period of time, and therefore an opportunity exists. Yeah. Um, so, so if I if I'm a trustee and I'm sat in front of this episode and I'm thinking I'd like to transact in in 2022, it's a busy market. So, what what are your three nuggets that you can pass over to uh, to the trustees who are watching? Well, whether you're looking to transact in the short or the medium term, clearly it's most important to have a plan uh, and make sure that. The, um, the target that you're aiming for is clearly defined, probably putting the decision around whether or not to insure um, in, in the context of the member. What does it mean for a member to be an inuitant of an insurance company? Is that as a board of trustees something that you're, you're happy with in terms of the way insurers are regulated and, and, and their, their, trust, their uh, policyholders are treated? So having that plan with a clear end game is perhaps the, the, the first bit of advice, whether you're looking to execute in the short or medium term. Secondly, I'd say it's never too early to start preparing data, uh, understanding your benefits. And as you rightly say, looking at vendor due diligence uh, potentially a lot earlier than has traditionally been the case, because it will help you decide whether you need to ensure residual risks. Obviously, monitoring your funding as you go. But thirdly, I'd say having the governance structure in place, making sure that trustees are aligned with their sponsors uh, and the decision making and the objectives are well understood uh, and having the advisors that can 
potentially come in with um, a, an independent perspective uh, on how to get the, the transactions over the line. Many thanks, Mars. I think we'll we'll draw it to a close there. Um, hopefully that's provided uh, insight for the trustees who are listening. Uh, and that draws the episode to a close. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.